All right, so this morning we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a couple weeks ago, we covered the first portion of this chapter, and we, we continue speaking uh, and learning uh, really about excelling in generosity, excelling in generosity. Now, um, as a pastor, I make every attempt to be careful not to ever teach in a manner that I'm covering personal issues, perhaps that I talk to you about, that you bring to my attention or that I hear is going on. I truly believe that if we are teaching the whole counsel of God from the pulpit, that we're going to hit every topic that you know we uh, step into. In life, in everyday life. And it's covered from parenting, to friendship, to forgiveness, to resentment and bitterness, anger, jealousy, um, marriage relationship. And this topic also of generosity. Now, one thing that I want you to understand is, is the heart of God is not one that is always reaching out and asking for a handout. In fact, that's, that's not it at all. Generosity, what that, what that is, is it reveals the heart of man. Those things, oftentimes, that we are um, not inclined, that it, it doesn't come natural for us to do, are the very things that God is requiring of us um, to reveal what is getting in our way of our relationship with Him. And generosity is not just in finances. Um, one of the things that uh, sometimes I hear pastors say is that, oh, I, I, I fear I don't want to talk about finances. Well, the Bible talks about finances, so I'm going to talk about finances. And we need to be good, good stewards of our finances. We are stewards. We, it doesn't, we don't take it when we go to be with the Lord. We don't take it. So we need to be good stewards of God, what God has entrusted to us. So we need to manage that well and also understand how to use it. All right, so this is part two of just the text that we're going through in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So let's first of all read through what we're going to learn this morning, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll break it down. All right, verse 8 of chapter, or verse, yeah, verse eight of chapter 8. I say this not as a, com- not as a command, but uh, to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also... Is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness." As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Father, this is all a matter of the heart. 
I pray, Lord, that we would be open to hear what you have for us to hear. That we would, Lord, be a a people, Father, who are willing to give of ourselves to those who are in need in whatever situation it may be. Of our time, of our understanding of your word, of compassion, and Lord, also of finances. Lord, that uh, we may bless others and therefore glorify you. And so, Lord, um, pray, Lord, that you would uh, make our hearts pliable, that we would be moldable, and that your spirit would give us understanding of what you have to say to your church this morning. We commit this time into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Excelling in Generosity, part two. A couple weeks ago, we learned about these Macedonian uh, Christians. Um, they were north of Corinth, and uh, they, were, they were pretty much Macedonian beggars. That's what we learned. They were Macedonian beggars, but not in the sense to where they were asking for money, but they were begging that Paul and Titus would accept what they desired to give for the sake of those in need in Jerusalem, even though they didn't have much. I think oftentimes history has proven that those who died the richest had nothing left to give. They left it all. They gave it all up. And it's not, it, they didn't count it as a loss, but as a gain. And they understood what life was all about. For the Macedonians... Even though they were experiencing, as the Bible tells us, extreme poverty. This wasn't something that, um, you know, sometimes we could identify with if you haven't dealt with poverty. If you haven't dealt with being poor, not having much. But these people were experiencing extreme poverty. And yet they were overflowing with a wealth of generosity. That is absolutely beautiful. And had an abundance of joy. There was a joy that was overflowing. It was bubbling up. And yet, materially, financially, they didn't have much. What the Macedonian believers had was a proper perspective of wealth and possessions, no matter what the amount was, and how that compared to the treasures and riches that awaited them in heaven. They they had that perspective. They understood that very well. It's important for us to have that proper perspective. We continue with this lesson this morning as Paul writes to the Corinthians, helping them have this proper perspective of generosity, to take action on what they had intended to do a year earlier and making sure they knew that there was integrity in the handling of, these, uh, of the collection that was not only being received by Titus, but we'll learn in a few moments how it was that it was a group of men that were entrusted with this collection to bring it all together and take it to the church in Jerusalem. So let's start out with generosity and proper perspective. Verses 8 and 9 point to this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine, also is genuine. For you know that grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. True generosity is not followed through with 
out of guilt or duty. That's not generosity at all. And it's out of a willing heart, out of a joyful heart, one that's overflowing with thankfulness, with gratitude, not toward others, but toward God first and foremost. 2 Corinthians 9 7, we'll cover that next week, but uh, the, the chapter, but in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. It is more blessed to than to it is more blessed to than to receive, right? Paul knew this very well. And is therefore telling the Corinthian believers that what he is saying is, listen, hey, I'm not saying this as a command. Not as a command at all. If ever you have someone shaming you into giving, oh, that was the wrong way of doing it. And I've heard of some churches doing some pretty crazy things. If you ever get into that position, if you're ever somewhere else and, and you, you, you have that coming across, like you're being made to feel guilty, you know, and they even close the doors in the back. You know what? We're going to take another offering. Because uh, the ushers came together. They, yeah, that was enough. We know that you have more in your pockets. It's like, you know what? Get up at that moment and go ahead and run, <laughs> run, run and get out of there. Because that's not, that's not what the Bible tells us. Hey, listen, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, there's, he's rich beyond whatever we can give him. We're missing the whole point, if that's what we're after. So Paul knew this. He says, hey, I'm not saying this as a, as a command, but then again, to realize that their actions reveal whether or not their love for their brethren was genuine. I'm not saying this as a command, but there's a need in Jerusalem. We're asking you that if you could find it in your heart, hopefully you can, to give to their need out of your abundance, because that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to them here about, is out of their abundance. Then do so. Why? Because this will reveal to yourself the genuineness of your love toward your brethren. That you're willing to do that. Genuine generosity reveals genuine love. You can freely give or you can freely withhold. Either way, it is a good measure of where your heart truly is. Matthew 6.21, the Lord Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then, on the side of love, as it goes hand in hand, John thirteen thirty five says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Apostle John writes in 1 John three seventeen and 18, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. As faith without works is dead, so love without generosity is dead. Generosity, giving of what we have to give. Again, yes, 
we're covering finances, but it's not just that. Sometimes it's just what's needed is, is a shoulder, is someone to come alongside and be that encourager, that Barnabas to someone else, to give of our time, to give perhaps of our skill, even though we're not getting paid for providing someone with a need. Withholding love for one another, the question, the question really should be, why? why? Why are we withholding love for one another? Withholding what you can give to others who are in need? The question again to ask is, why? Why, why would you withhold what you know you can give to someone else? Why would you do that? Because both have to do with the heart more than the material or financial. Both reveal the condition of our hearts. You see, God already knows our hearts. And and I say it over and over and over and over again until hopefully that continues to be established within us. The truth of the matter is, is that it's not revealing it to God because he knows all things. It's really revealing it to ourselves. That we may, at that time of revelation, choose what is right. Paul is pointing out two comparisons for the Corinthian believers to consider. Number one, he says, consider the generosity of the Macedonian believers. Now, these are the Corinthians. Those brothers to the north of you, consider their generosity. Paul is willing to tell the brethren in Corinth that their giving should look somewhat like that which was given by their brethren in Macedonia. And in reality, it should be more taking into consideration that they were actually better off financially. Economically, they were, they were better off. The first seven verses of this chapter were telling the Corinthian believers about the generosity of the Macedonian believers through financial shortage and even begging them to take what they were giving for the sake of the saints in Jerusalem. That's why when someone desires to give of themselves, um, no matter what it is, one of the things that the Bible is very clear on is, you know what, let them. Let them. Why? Because they're the ones who are being stirred up in their hearts to give of of their time. Maybe they don't have much time. They are already busy. And your heart goes out. You're like, wow, you know, you're so busy already. And yet you desire to give more of yourself to the body and for the sake of others. Yeah, I, I do desire that. Sometimes I know brothers and sisters that just feel compelled, like the Lord stirs in their hearts. You know what? I'm going to give toward whatever it is that the Lord is stirring in my heart. Even though this is is like, this is all I have, I'm going to give. That's what the Macedonian believers were doing, and that's who Paul was comparing saying, hey, this is exemplary behavior of generosity that reflects generosity in the hearts of believers, the Macedonian believers, the church up there up north. Yours should look pretty much the same way. But then he takes it a step further. He doesn't just compare 
the generosity of the believers up north, but he says, hey, consider the generosity of Jesus. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. No one can outgive our Lord. No one at all. Paul was saying that Jesus demonstrated his love toward us with a generous dose of giving exactly what we need. That is grace. In order that we may share in his riches. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, uh, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And finally, Romans 10.12, and we can go on and on, by the way. For there is no distinction, I love this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Would that leave any doubt as to the generosity of Jesus Christ? No. No, and we we can only have faith and trust these things. One day we will experience all of God's riches in his glory for eternity. No, we wouldn't doubt the generosity of Jesus Christ. Because what Paul was acknowledging was that Jesus is God and deity was clothed in humanity and for our sake became born of a virgin. There was no amount of earthly treasure that could compare with the riches he knew before coming to this earth. And it was all for the sake of the cross that he came. For you and I. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can anyone outgive Jesus? Absolutely not. Can't. You can give everything and still not outgive him. And what Paul was saying is consider how it was that God demonstrated his love towards you, and you too will respond to the needs of the brethren with great generosity that reflects that understanding. Because generosity is truly a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. So that's what Paul was bringing across. That's what he was communicating to the believers there in Corinth. And that's what God wants to, he desires to communicate that to his people today. We should be marked with a heart of generosity out of a response to the love that God first demonstrated to us. So there's generosity put in proper perspective. 
Secondly, generosity in action. This is really important. Verse 10, And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Generosity in action. Intent is not the same as taking action. We intend to do a lot of things. But intent never got things done. You have to take action on those intentions. If we but learn this in life, it will be of great benefit to us. Turning wishful thinking and dreaming into a life lived in reality and actual experience. Paul was holding the church in Corinth basically at this point accountable to what they said they desired to do one year earlier. Hey, you guys all said that you desired to do this work a year ago. A stated desire needs to match action in order to become a reality. He's saying, hey, let, let what you desired, what you said you intended to do, match with your actions. That, that needs to come together. The things we often regret more than anything is not what we did in error, but what we failed to do altogether. Like, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And again, Paul is just holding them accountable. But what was holding the, the Corinthians from giving one year later? You know, it's one year later, and they said that they intended to do this. It's like they put out their letter of intent, but there's no action, no follow-through up to this point. It is implied that they were concerned about a couple things. Number one, they were worried they didn't have enough. Verse 12 points to that. It says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So, they were worried about perhaps what they didn't have. Be willing and ready to give from what you do have, is what the Apostle Paul was saying. You cannot give from what you don't have, and no amount of wishing to have more will make that change. Again, it's all about follow-through. It's all about action. Even the widow who gave two mites, Jesus said, gave more than all the wealthy people who gave. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance. She gave everything that she had. This is in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. But Paul wasn't even saying to give like this widow did. He he wasn't even telling that. He says, hey, listen, give from what you do have. He says it very clearly. He says, hey, listen, give, give out of your abundance. Whatever that is. I wonder how many people hold back from giving because they believe that they don't have enough to truly give when they do. Um, we, we, we tend to hold on. <laughs> we do. Second, Lee, the, there's this worry that what they gave would lead to their demise. You know, they're, they're down for it. Down, downward spiral. Verses 13 through 15 tells us this as the Apostle Paul continues, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. 
that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, Paul wasn't asking them again to give, you know, as we hear, give till it hurts. He wasn't saying that. He said, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Again, that's all he was coming to them with. Remember, the Macedonians were saying, hey, take what we give you. I beg you. We are joyful here. We we have no lack. The little that we do have, we rejoice in the Lord. Thankful for it. Paul isn't robbing Peter to pay Paul. It wasn't socialism or communism. It was a generosity that is personal and comes from a willing heart toward those in need. That was it. Paul was even giving the example of when God gave the Israelites man in the desert. He referred to that. No one lacked what they needed. God always provided for them. That was the whole point of that. Those who had much, those who had little, hey, no one had lack. Everyone was provided for. And by the way, those are my people. I was faithful to them. I believe that we hold on to material things and money like as if it was the meaning of life altogether. Like, it was everything. Like this, especially, by the way, especially in America, we are, we are so programmed to be comfortable to the point to where it's at the expense of others. It is. You said it earlier, it's more blessed to what? You said it again. Than to receive. That's why we should be good stewards of our finances so that when we are presented with an opportunity, we're able to. Yeah, you know what? Here you go. And I, I rejoice. I mean, I, I'm going through this text here. This is a lesson for me as well as everyone else. And I can tell you that I'm, I'm truly encouraged and blessed by the actions that have been taken by, taken by this church. We have had needs within the body, and I hear of groups of people that will, that will provide those needs. And I'm telling you, it, it just totally encourages me. I, I encourage you, keep doing that. Keep doing that. When you find out about someone who has a need, bring the brethren together and see how it is that you can take care of them. Transportation. There's been transportation needs. And people are willing to, hey, here you go. This is for you. You know what it blesses? It, it blesses the pastor, but I cannot imagine how it blesses the Lord. That's, it's glory to Him and praise. <laughs> that is awesome. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. You remember the rich man? Conversation that he had with Jesus? This was the rich man's problem. Matthew 19, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, this is not instructions for everyone. This is because Jesus knew the heart of this man, this young man. For him, he was, telling, he was saying, Hey, I, I know your heart. I know what you're holding on to. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Right? 
as he said, you know, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then his disciples were like, well, who, who can enter in? And Jesus said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. That's, that's hope. That's, that's where we need to be. But again, it's a matter of the heart. This is, that's what all this points to. Jesus knew the heart of this man. This man was unwilling to loosen his grip on his material wealth and take hold of eternal life. Loosen the grip, grab a hold of eternal life. There's more riches that go far beyond what you could ever accumulate here on earth. It had to do with this heart and what he truly believed was wealth, was actually poverty. Both situations, both excuses that, um, or, or what was implied as to being their reason for not taking action for a year for the Corinthian believers, uh, it was because they were worried that they didn't have enough, and that could be our error too. You know, we worried we don't have enough, and so we just simply don't give at all. And to think that if you do give, that you won't have enough are both ways of thinking that are selfish and self-centered. And so the Apostle Paul gave two comparisons. Macedonian believers, they're going through extreme poverty. The Lord Jesus, to top it all off, he gave everything. Give to others' needs from what you do have and quit trying to justify your lack of generosity by thinking that you're going to them them, uh, at some point asking for help. It's not about getting back what you've given. It's It's not that. Don't think that you have too little to give. Give from what you have. That's where we start. And then... So there's generosity in proper perspective, generosity in action, and then generosity properly handled. This is good stewardship here. Verse 16, as the Apostle Paul continued, he said, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man." And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now, there's a word that was used several times in that passage. And that's earnest, earnest, earnest. And and back in uh, verse 7, it says, But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. Also, 
earnestness. What, what is earnestness? Well, it's a serious and intent mental state. A serious and intent mental state. Sometimes we look at being generous through the eyes of the world. Yeah, it's just a charity. Um, they have a little need, poor them. Let me give a little here, let me give a little there, and then go about my business. I feel better. I feel better about giving. And, uh, and so, because I feel better, then, you know, and it's doing a little good. Yeah. We should do that in the world. No, wrong, 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 wrong perspective. It has to do with the heart. It has to do with much more than just you feeling good. And, um, and it being a charity or handled like a charity. No, no, listen. These guys here, these men, these brothers, were very serious in their intent. That was their state of mind. This wasn't just something on the side. This was just a part of who they were in Christ. We walk this out day in and day out. This, this isn't just for the moment. This is just not part of the letter that we're writing to, to the Corinthians. We live this out everywhere we go. We're purposeful. We're serious about our faith in the Lord to bring Him glory. That as we see a need, we're not waiting for a letter to tell us. We're doing it because that is the Word of God. That is how we glorify Him. We'll walk it out. Now, Paul is rejoicing here as well. He's, he was saying, hey, Titus has the same heart as me. We're both earnest in this matter. In all things pertaining to God, Titus is my partner is what he says later on. We have messengers. Everyone's doing their, their uh, work, their part in the body of Christ. We have messengers. We, have, we, we even have some, some pretty famous uh, people. We have a famous preacher amongst us. Preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's well known. Now who he is, I'll let you try and figure that out. It's not said. That's not the point. Right? But everyone's doing their part. This is church organization 101 right here. That's, that's what we have in these verses. It's a proper stewardship of what God has entrusted to the church. That's what it is. Making sure everything is above board. Hey, listen, it's not just one person, Paul, the Apostle Paul, going around to all the churches, let's, uh, let's take in a collection. Hey, nobody will know what goes into my pocket, and by the time I get back to Jerusalem, you know, hey, they were really generous, but it's not the whole. Mm-mm. Oh, uh, hey, listen, I sent Titus to you. We have this preacher. We have messengers. We have all these people here. Why? Because we want to be honorable before man, and we also want to be honorable before the Lord. In other words, there has to be this integrity that's built into what we're doing. They were ensuring that nothing would detract from God being glorified through this work, and it would reflect genuine goodwill on the part of Paul, Titus, and this famous preacher. How was this done? There was transparency and accountability among a group of godly men 
who not only preached the gospel everywhere they went, but were willing to carry out the collection of the offerings for the sake of the brethren in Jerusalem and bring it back intact. There's no Ananias and Sapphira. You know, collecting a part of what they sold their home for and then lying to the Holy Spirit. and they It was a very severe lesson that was learned there, not, not to lie to the Holy Spirit. You know, that's, uh, that's serious. We should be earnest in our faith. But their integrity was important. Again, to them, not only before God, but also before man, before each and every person that belong, belongs to the body of Christ. Now, I'll explain something to you this morning that I believe is very important for you to know. From the very beginning of Refuge, one of the things that we established, I'm so grateful for the men that God has brought alongside myself to make sure that there is accountability. We set up policy here from the very beginning. Number one, the pastor will never know what you individually give. It's just, that's the way it is. I never count the tithes, the offerings, never do any of that. Now, I do know the bottom line because we are to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. But we have a a board of directors that serves um, to uh, be that source of accountability for how it is that we budget. There is a budget here, and everything is accounted for. And so there's transparency, there's accountability, and we do seek to have integrity and honor before God and before man. So that's the policy here, and it it is all to further the work that God has ordained for us to do here at Refuge. Now, Paul had sent Titus to receive the collection and then accompany him to bring what was collected to Jerusalem. It's, again, important for the sake of the glory of God to be deliberate about maintaining financial integrity in the stewardship of his finances. Because there have been too many instances where accountability has, or unaccountability has led to the demise of pastors and shamed the Lord, leading the people no, uh, to no longer trust the local church, let alone a pastor. Like, oh, you're a pastor? That doesn't mean much anymore, unfortunately. It's like, yeah, I know what you're all about. What? <laughs> Why? Because of these things that have happened. No, great care needs to go into making sure that doesn't happen. And then lastly, Paul exhorts the brethren to prove their love to the brothers in need by following through with what they had stated was their desire to do a year earlier. Say, listen, very last verse here, verse 24. So, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So he was saying, hey, listen, uh, prove your love by being generous. And number two, uh, you know, I, I, I truly believe, I, I see how it is that you are. I, I've been boasting about you. Uh, prove me right <laughs> to follow through with this. And this is what was important. Number one, putting generosity in proper perspective. Num- number two, putting generosity into action. Number three, handling generosity Properly, that is having good stewardship. These are all very important 
principles, the truth of God's word to apply today. This is timeless. This, this is something that should, should be honoring to the Lord. What is holding you back from truly being generous? Have you, have you been generous? Maybe you have. But a lot of times it, it's the cause of us not being generous is because of our mishandling of finances. We're, we're just not in that place where we can. Why? Because we've mishandled our finances. Is it mistrust? Is it just bottom line selfishness? I, I don't want to give. Now let me just say this, that the New Testament doesn't emphasize tithing. And some even argue against actual tithing out of pretty much self-interest. That, that's what it is. But remember that giving is proportional to what you have been entrusted with, and 10% is a good starting point. It's, it's, just, it's a good starting point. Remember, it has to do with the heart. It was never condemned. It was never done away with. It's just, hey, listen. put our money where our heart is. Really, that's what it comes down to. That's why I, I don't fear talking about finances because I know it's with the right motive. I know it's with the right heart. It's, it's God's heart that wants to reveal to us what our hearts are before Him, a holy and righteous God. What is it that we want to do? Well, we're doing all kinds of stuff this year. We had a video at, at the beginning of this year kind of just uh, catching a glimpse of everything that happened last year. Uh, our lease is coming up in, I believe it's May or June. Um, I already notified the property management here to let them know that um, we do desire to stay if they'll have us. And uh, so we're going to go through the process of negotiating the next contract. But let me tell you that your faithfulness of being generous, has allowed us as a body to stay here in this place, have these lights on, have the heat on, you know, and warm us up a little bit. Um, to, to have this, this place that we can gather together and praise and worship and, and, uh, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to see people saved, to rejoice over those things that God is doing. It's because of all of us coming together collectively and participating generously to the work that the Lord is doing here. And to that, we give him all praise and honor. All praise and honor. But again, this subject has to do with the heart. And what we are willing to give and be generous with isn't just with finances, but also our time and our talent. God gave everything so that we could have his eternal riches in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like I said at the very beginning, do not not walk out of here without knowing just fully whether you... And you have the option of rejecting. I I pray that you, you never reject God's grace demonstrated through Jesus Christ, that you understand that salvation is truly a free gift that God is offering to us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And and those are loving words. It's not 
Oh, you think that you have the way to salvation? No, I, I don't have the way to salvation. God said it very clearly. It's just through his son. Everything else is a deception. It's, it's a distraction. That's what that is. What do we do? Well, sin separates us from the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ that he, that he offers forgiveness. Why? Because Why was he able to do that? Because he paid for our sins on the cross. So he conquered sin on the cross. He conquered death by resurrecting on the third day. And how is it that we are to be saved? Well, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says, you will be saved. Beyond that, there's fruit that comes about through that faith in him. We are saved by grace through faith alone. There's nothing that we do. We just receive. We never save ourselves. We, we just receive that salvation freely. I pray that you walk away. If you don't know his riches right now in his grace, that this morning you know that all you have to do is cry out to him, confess your sins, and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, to take over your life. And he'll start at that point to walk with you and to, to help you to bring glory to him. And through that salvation, that known salvation, you also know certainly the hope of eternal life with God. Don't walk out not knowing that, okay? Beyond all else, if you didn't hear anything else, I pray that you did hear that, okay? Because he excels in generosity beyond what we could imagine. I hope And I pray that that is reflected by how we live our lives. All glory to God. Father, we sing your praises. We love you. We thank you that you did first love us. That even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray, Lord, that we would understand this whole topic. that our generosity in our lives are not out of compulsion, out of duty, out of shame, Lord, but simply as a response to the love that you've shown to us. That we are truly rich as we give of ourselves. That you are blessed and honored. And so, Father, give us generous hearts. Help us, Lord, to have a godly perspective of everything that we are stewards of. We give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.